All right. So we're going to move on into our lesson. We've been talking the last several weeks, almost two months now, if not more than that. No, more than two months. We've been speaking about humility. We've been learning about humility. And God has defined humility for us as the realistic or one's a realistic view of one's importance in the sight of God and in comparison to God. So when we're walking in humility, we have a realistic view of our own importance. We're not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Neither are we thinking less of ourselves than we ought to think. When we, are, when we have a realistic view of our own importance in the sight of God, that means that we see ourselves as God sees us. So that means when God says, you are this, we say, yes, Lord, I am who you say I am. When he says, you have this, yes, Lord, be it unto me, I have what you say I have. And when he says, I command you to do this, or I authorize you to do this, or I give you the strength to do this, or I give you the power to do this, we say, yes, Father, I can do what you say I can do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is having a realistic view of our own importance in the sight of God. When we are walking in humility, then we see ourselves as God sees us. Glory to God. And then the other aspect is that we have a realistic view of our own importance in comparison to God. We realize that it is God who has made us and not we ourselves. We understand that he is our creator and we are the creation. The creation never comes above the creator. So we understand that we always come under God. We always submit to God. So this means that God's ways supersede our ways. God's thoughts supersede our thoughts. God's desires supersede our desires. But really, when we come to walk in alignment with him, we'll find that we're so in alignment with him that we and God are one. Oh, praise God. That's an aspect of humility that we've not talked about yet. But we and God are one because we come so in alignment with him, his thoughts, his feelings, his desires, all the while realizing that he is the creator. We are the creation. So we are lowly compared to him, meaning we come under him, but not unworthy. Oh, Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, I don't deserve. Lord, I don't. Mm -mm. He never called us unworthy. He made us worthy through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we can say, I am who God says I am. I have what God says I have, and I can do what God says I can do. Now the others, not the other side, but the the opposite of humility is what? Pride. Pride, yes. And so let's look at pride in comparison to humility. Humility says, I am who God says I am. I have what God says I have. I can do what God says I can do. Pride on the side of arrogance says, oh, I can do it without God. Oh, I can do better than God. Oh, I don't need God. Oh, I know God said do it this way, but I think my way is better. Okay? 
pride on the side of low self-esteem is God says, I can do this. No, God, I'm not worthy. No, God, I'm not qualified. No, God, I can't do it. Even with your help, Lord, I can't do it because I'm just so unworthy. I don't deserve your goodness. I don't deserve. This is what we call false humility. False humility equals pride. So when we, this is thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to when we think we can do it without God. And even when we're down here thinking that we're less than, even with God, that's thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to because our opinions about ourselves are bigger than God's word about us. That's pride. And I heard uh, Keith Moore describe it this way. Humility equals truth. Pride equals a lie. Whenever we're not walking in the light of who God says we are, we're walking in a lie. And that is pride, whether on the side of thinking we can do more on our own than we actually can, or thinking that even with God's help, we still can't do it. Walking in pride is a lie. Any thoughts? No, well, it's sin because it's not God. Yes. That's the way I wrote it down. Good. Yep, it is. It's sin. It's missing the mark. God is the mark. What God says is bullseye. And if we're anywhere outside of what God says, we're outside the bullseye, we're missing the mark. That's sin. And then we get the results of sin. Yeah, it's not zabato. It's not zabato. <laughs> not bullseye. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to go back two lessons um, where we started talking about Paul. And we were talking about Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm just going to give a quick synopsis of this, but turn there in your Bible with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me know when you're there. Okay, got it. It's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we will start at verse 9. We'll just read verses 9 and 10 out of the King James, please. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle. Apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I get more? Amen. Nope, just that, just that. Okay, so we're going to go back up to verse 9, where this is Paul speaking, right? And he's explaining how he came to preach this gospel. And so now he's gone in the timeline, He's because he's reminding the Corinthians what they believed. And he said, oh, I feel the anointing. 
I feel the anointing. This is getting ready to be good. Um, uh, up earlier, Paul says to the Corinthians, I delivered you, first of all, what was delivered unto me. How that Jesus, uh, that Christ died for our sins, how he was buried, how he was raised. And then he's going down in the timeline um, about how when Jesus rose from the dead, he was seen by more than 500 brethren at once. And at verse seven, how he was seen of James and then of all the apostles. And in verse eight, he says, last of all, he was seen of me also. Okay, now verse nine, he says, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not meat. I'm not deserving to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Uh, there is no way I should be an apostle. And then in verse 10, that word, but, that word, but cancels everything out. There is no way I should be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Here is Paul's humility showing. By the grace of God, by the empowerment of God, I am what I am. I am an apostle called to the Gentiles. I am a child of God. I am holy in righteousness. I am, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's not letting his past overshadow him or take hold of him or hold him in bondage and condemnation. And he's not letting anybody else use his past to do that either. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am exactly who and what he called me to be. Then he goes on and he says, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. When God gives us a grace, when he gives us an empowerment to do something, the only rightful response, the only proper response is to say, thank you, Lord, yes. Because you have given me this empowerment, because you have strengthened me to do this, I have what you say I have. I have the strength to do this. I have the skill to do this. I have the ability to do this. I have the authority to, to do this. Your grace that you have bestowed upon me is not in vain because I receive it and I walk in it to do what you have given me to do. Then in, in the next breath, he says, but I labored more abundantly than they all, talking about the disciples who actually walked with Jesus. First in verse nine, he says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I'm not, I persecuted the church. I'm not worthy. And now he's saying, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So at no time did Paul depend on his own ability. At no time did Paul depend on his own righteousness, because we know he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, yeah, Pharisee is touching the law. A Pharisee, he is the strictest sect of the religion. Um, this letter, was it written as a result of they had preached Christ and then they started hearing places where people went back to the letter as opposed to grace? Um, I'm not sure if that's the occasion for this letter, but I know that Galatians is. Do we know which was written first? 
Oh, Shalom. That's a great question. And if you give me a moment, I can tell you. Give me a moment, okay? Okay, take a moment. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> you can take a moment. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. According to my research that I did in just that quick minute, um, Galatians was written first. Galatians was written between 49 and 50 AD, and 1 Corinthians was written in 55 AD. So probably I'm right in thinking that some of the teachings, some of the people had fallen away from some of the teachings. Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. Now, I will tell you that uh, the Corinthians, <laughs> the Corinthians were the most carnal church, and you'll hear preachers joke about it. That's why Paul had to write them twice. But actually, if you do your studies and, and um, see, um, it's believed that he actually wrote them three times, but only two letters made it into the canon of scripture because they just kept misbehaving. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But um, good deduction on my part. Good deduction on your part. You're becoming the Bible scholar, chick. Let's see. Um, for First Corinthians, Apostle Paul heard there was quarreling in the church. He was disappointed. He had spent 18 months with the Corinthian Christians, and they had been doing well. He wanted to help them solve their quarreling. Um, in chapters one through four, he talks about the quarrels he's heard and, the, and offers advice. In chapters five through 11, which is where we are now, no, no, I'm sorry. In chapters five through 11, Paul exposes sins he's heard are already infesting the church. And they had to do with sexual immorality, filing lawsuits against each other and other things. And as a matter of fact, Corinth, Corinth was so carnal that um, people used to say that the, if somebody was insulting you, they would call you a Corinthomai, a Corinthomai, meaning you're so sinful, you're a heathen, you're so carnal. That's what the city of Corinth became associated with. All right, in um, chapters 12 through 15, Paul helps them understand difficult doctrines, such as what speaking in tongues means. And in 15, 16, that's where we are now. He preaches the pure gospel again and encourages these believers to hold fast to what is good. So he's okay. getting the carnality out of them is what he's trying to say. Um, yes. It's more in, the, in Galatians that um, they were falling away from what they had learned. They were falling away from grace because the Galatians were starting to say that Gentiles needed to follow Jewish laws in order to be saved. Matter of fact, I keep seeing it, so let's turn there. Let's turn to Galatians. And um, I see two places, just give me a moment. Yes, let me go to the one that I see. Are we going to come back here? Yep. So I'm going to mark it. Okay. Yes, Galatians chapter 3. Okay. 
and we'll start at verse um, one. And you get to choose King James or Amplified Classic. Actually, I'll choose Amplified Classic, please. Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. Well, I didn't like them. <laughs> Who has fascinated or bewitched or cast a spell over you unto whom right before your very eyes, Jesus Christ of Messiah was openly and graphically set forth and portrayed as crucified. Keep going. Yes. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as the result of obeying the law and doing the works? Or was it by hearing the message of the gospel and believing it? Was it from observing a law or ritual, a law of rituals, or from a message of faith? One more verse. Are you so foolish and so senseless and so silly, ha having begun your new life spiritually with the Holy Spirit, are you now reaching perfection by dependence on the flesh? So these are the ones who have fallen away from the teachings of grace. These are the ones who, like um, Paul says, did you... <laughs> Did you begin your new life spiritually with the Holy Spirit? Are you now reaching perfection by dependence on the flesh? Because the Galatians are saying, oh, we got to do the same thing the Jews do. We got to get circumcised like the Jews. We can't eat this kind of meat like the Jews don't eat that kind of meat. They started turning to all these earthly remedies, these earthly things to hone their spirituality. But we see how Paul feels about this. Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. Let me ask you one question. This one question, did you receive the Holy Spirit as a result of obeying the law and doing its works? Or was it by hearing the message of the gospel and believing it? Was it from observing a law of rituals or from a message of faith? And he says, Who has fascinated or bewitched or cast a spell over you unto whom right before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was openly and graphically set forth and portrayed as crucified? How is it that you could see this and still go to this way of thinking? Who bewitched you? Who fooled you? How did you get over into this foolish way of thinking? So the Galatians are the ones the ones who fell from the teachings of grace and started turning to works for their salvation. Okay. Good question. Thank you. Well, I can understand if you come up by works then you get the grace message. Yeah. You know, to really understand how much grace, grace replaces the works, yet 
you still tithe. You still, you know, there's stuff that you still do. Yes. But the thing that's different, see, this is where the light of the glorious gospel comes in. Those things that you're talking about, tithing and the things that you still, some people fast and they do all of this um, and they are godly things to do. But when you're doing them, trying to achieve your own righteousness, that's when you're outside of grace. When you have a revelation of God's grace, even going to church, even praying, even reading the Bible, you're doing it so you can be right and you feel under condemnation if you didn't read your 10 chapters a day. Or you, you feel no. under condemnation. But I go to church because I go to church because it's my way to help, help me stay on track. Okay. And that's good too. That's good too. And because I know I'm going to hear, I'm going to hear the right thing. Amen. And that's good. But if you're going to church so that when you get to heaven, Jesus can say, oh, look, Shalom went to church 52 weeks out of the year. That's the wrong reason. Okay, I didn't think he'd ever say that about me. <laughs> I don't know, Shalom, you've got a pretty good track record for going to church <laughs> all during the week and everything. Um, but it's like, if, if you aren't doing it out of relationship because you want to be closer to him, because you want to stay on the right track, because you know you're going to hear that life-giving word, because you know that's, that's why you go. You don't go so you won't go to hell. Or you won't go so you can feel like you've done your duty for the week. You see the difference? Okay. All right. She says, enough about this conversation. Let me say this last thing. <laughs> it's, it's really about the motive. It's really about the motive. There's a difference between the person who tithes because they feel like they have to and the person who tithes because it's their act of worship to the Lord. There's a difference in the person who reads the Bible because they want to. They enjoy that fellowship and communion with the Lord. They enjoy the revelation that they receive and the change that the word is making in their lives. There's a difference between that person and the person who reads it to say, all right, I'm on pace to read the Bible through a year. And, you know, I get a check mark for every day that I read. I get a check mark for finishing the Bible in a year. If you're doing it to get that gold star, that's when you're not operating in grace. That's when you're operating by works. If you're doing it so that you can say that you're a good person, that's when you're not operating in grace. But when you're doing it because it's drawing you closer to God or because it's, it's an expression of your love for God, that's when you're acting in grace. Okay. Okay. All right. But I know <laughs> when I hear things and then I identify with them and I think that, that you know, like speaking in tongues mm -hmm. and that, you know, I should 
speak in tongues like every day. I don't, but I but it would help me if I would. Mm-hmm. It would build me up stronger. Yes. Then when I do those things, I feel better about myself and I feel like I've stepped closer. To what? To God. Yeah. Yeah, you stepped closer to God. You feel better about yourself. You feel like you've stepped closer to God. You don't feel better about yourself and like you can take a step away from God because I got this God. I can do it myself. No, I can't. That's humility. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, I think I never thought that I could do it without God. I just thought that that was the way I was left to do it without God. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is where revelation of his love comes in. It's God's desire to help you. It's God's desire to empower you. It's God's desire for you to receive his help and empowerment. And because he's a good, good father, he's never going to leave you without what you need. And he's given us his promise and his word that I will never leave you or forsake you. And the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. It even says he gives more grace to the humble, to those who lean on him, to those who depend on him. And I would even, what I'm hearing in my spirit, to those who press into him and say, okay, daddy, I can't do it without you. Okay, Lord, I can't do it without you. Okay, Lord, if this is going to get done, it's going to take you doing it through me. But here I am, your yielded vessel. Do what you want to do. I am who you say I am. I have what you say I have, and I can do what you say I can do. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. So back to 1 Corinthians 15. Okay. So he says, um, but by the verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. It's because of God's strength, God's empowerment. That's why I'm able to do what I do. Amen? Mm-hmm. All right, so now let's turn to Acts chapter 26. And we're going to start with um, verse 12, but let me tell you what's happening up before this, um, going back to the very first verse of chapter 26, see, Paul has been accused by the Jews, wrongly accused by the Jews. They are taking him, um, or he's, okay, Paul is here before the king to plead his case because he has been accused of the Jews for, um, for believing in the, in the resurrection, and for that they want to kill him. 
And so let's look at um, chapter 26, um, starting at verse 9. Paul was just explained. So he's, he was going through his testimony with King Agrippa. And he says, you know what? I did many things. I used to believe like them and I did many things contrary to Jesus. And I, verse 10, I persecuted the saints. Um, that's also verse 11. And now in verse 12, he says, I was going to Damascus and I had the authority and the commission to, from the chief priests to gather these people, imprison them, take them, right? And now verse 13, at mid, I'm in the King James. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven. And you know that in the context, um, which we speak of light the most here at Discipleship Way, enlightenment, revelation, spiritual understanding. I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. This light was even brighter than the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. What's coming to me just now, um, you know, in Genesis, when we read the account of creation, God created light on the first day, light be, light was. It wasn't until the fourth day that he created the sun and the moon and the stars. So light existed before the, the great light, the sun and the lesser light, the moon. So this light that Paul saw that outshone the sun, this is the light that came from God. God, who, I would say, revealing himself. He saw that light. Verse 14, and when we were fallen to the earth, think about how powerful that was. I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard with thee for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. How did Jesus appear unto him? Through the light, through revelation, right? Paul was able, or Saul at this time, was able to hear Jesus speaking. And Jesus said, that I have, I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness. That word minister is also a servant. To make thee a servant and a witness, both of these things, which thou hast seen, courtesy of the light. This thing which you have seen, courtesy of the revelation and spiritual understanding that I'm giving you. And of those things which I will appear unto thee, those things that I will show to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. And I believe this is the reason that Paul was, yeah, that Paul was able to be so bold in each of his situations. He had received this word from Jesus when Jesus spoke it. I will deliver you from the people and from the Gentiles, the people that I'm sending you to. So, when Paul was going, I just, yeah, I'm, I believe this, that when Paul was going through the troubles, when the people wanted to kill him, the Jews wanted to kill him, the Gentiles wanted to kill him, nobody wanted to believe him. Paul had this word from the Lord that the Lord would deliver him from them all. So even when, when he was beaten within inches of his life, even in the shipwreck, even in, he had this word from the Lord and he was able to stand boldly in it. 
So verse um, 17, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is giving Saul his assignment. Jesus said, I appeared to you for this purpose so that I can show you these things. And this is what you're going to do. This is your assignment. Open their eyes, the Gentiles, open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of all sins and inheritance among them, which they are sanctified by faith that is in me. In other words, they would come to the saving and keeping power of Jesus Christ, the saving and keeping knowledge of Jesus Christ. So after Paul had explained the assignment that Jesus had given him, he says in verse 19, whereupon King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In that moment, I decided that I was who Jesus was telling me I was, that I had what Jesus was telling me I had. And that I could do what Jesus was telling me I could do. I came into agreement with that. I came into alignment with that. In other words, I humbled myself and received everything that he said. And I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So this shows me that when we are walking in humility, we are walking in obedience to what God is showing us about us, accomplishing what he has given us to do. Because in that moment, Saul could have said, what do you mean? I'm just, I'm killing your people. I don't deserve this. How could you call me? Or I'm scared. Don't you know I've persecuted the Jews all this time? Now I try to go preach to them. Do you know what they want to do to me? He could have put up all kinds of resistance thinking more highly of himself than he ought to. Even though he was still in that place, Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law, a Pharisee. If anybody has reason, reason to boast, I have all the more because I'm all that in a bag of chips. But in that moment, he decided to recognize when he's, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And I like the way it says it in the Passion um, Translation. Um, hold on a second. Let me pull it up. He says, so here in the King James, it says, um, why, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Verse 14. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In the, trans, in the Passion Translation, it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You are only hurting yourself when you resist your calling. When God calls us and we kick against the pricks, no, Lord, I can't do this because. No, Lord, send somebody else. No, Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, no, that's not my plan for my life. That's not what I want to do. We're kicking against the pricks. And Jesus says, you're only, in the Passion Translation, you're only hurting yourself when you resist your calling. 
And I can't help but think of it when I hear that word resist, when you resist your calling, the same way God resists the proud. When you put off your calling, when you separate yourself from your calling, you're only hurting yourself. Why? Because you're not placing yourself in the position to receive God's empowering grace. You're not putting yourself in position to be who God has called you to be, to do what he's called you to do, and to, to receive what he's called you to have. I wrote these notes in my Bible when I was studying the scripture. Oh, this is one of the few times I didn't write down the date. It's probably a couple of years ago. But in the scripture, it says, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. And then he goes on and explains to Saul why he called him. I wrote, the Lord has given us light or spiritual knowledge and understanding for this reason, to make us a servant. Remember I said that word minister means servant. To make us a servant and a witness of the things we have seen, courtesy of the light courtesy of the revelation that God has given us and the things that the light will yet reveal. As we walk in the light we have, we'll receive more light. As we walk in the revelation we have, we'll receive more revelation. As we walk in the understanding we have, we'll gain more understanding. See, the way pride rears its ugly head sometimes is, no, I got to see the whole picture. I've got to see the whole thing. I'm not going to take a step until I know. Well, if we do that, then we don't need faith. So when we walk in the light of the revelation we have, we'll get more revelation. So, um, yes, so he's given us the light for this reason, to make us a servant and a witness of the things that we have seen, courtesy of the light, and the things that we will see because he will yet reveal them to us. He's given, and, and um, also the things that his light, his revelation will um, reveal regarding our assignment. He's going to reveal our assignment to us, whereupon we should resolve to not be disobedient to the heavenly vision whereupon we should resolve to receive what God says about us, to see ourselves the way that he sees us. Yes, Lord, I am who you say I am. Yes, Lord, I have what you say I have. Yes, Lord, I can do what you say I can do. And then walk in it. The more you walk in the revelation, the more revelation he'll give to you. And with the, you know, and the more revelation we receive, there's also more grace because he's showing us more things to do or more things to face or more things. But he never, what do you say? He never gives a vision without the provision. And that doesn't just mean the monetary provision or the materialistic provision. There's also the equipping and the girding up of us, strengthening with might in the inner man by his Holy Spirit. 
He gives us everything we need. And when we walk in humility, we, like Paul, will not back down, but we'll be able to say that we were not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Amen? Amen. All right, love. Well, you have a wonderful evening. Shalom. Shalom. Sure.